Welcome to the Secret Life of Cookies, where we try to solve the world's problems through the miracle of carbohydrates, one recipe at a time, with host Marissa Rothkoff and her dog, Bosco. Hello and welcome to The Secret Life of Cookies. My special guest this week is Emily Tish Sussman, Democratic strategist and host of the She Pivots podcast, which celebrates women who have made bold career moves and certainly inspires everyone who listens to the podcast that a nonlinear path is a good path. Believe me, I am in support of that. We discuss the best ways to convince your friends to vote, and what's going to make a real difference this election. We tackle kitchen anxiety as well. Thank you very much for being here. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited, although I'm intimidated. That's really, truly not a word I've ever heard used around me. So I like as intimidating. So thank you. I mean, mean, this is the first in my life. (laughs) You shouldn't be intimidated while we do bake and talk about politics on this show. Today, I'll be making um, pumpkin biscotti because, hey, readers, uh, listeners, what are you? It's Halloween, actually, when we're taping this. So I'll be making some very like spooky cookies. The creaking noise you hear in the back is my KitchenAid mixer, which did all the hard work for me this morning of creaming the butter. And you will not be cooking with us this morning. Is that correct, Ms. Sussman? Definitely not cooking with you. I am free to talk about politics. Like I, it free flows all day long. The baking terrifies me. I, well, so I, I don't think I could do both at the same time. It makes just it gives me like a pit in my stomach. And to think that I had to multitask and be observed doing it at the same time <laughs> would, it's too much. It's far too much. And I don't think I realized how stressful it is for me, but right, not to take us back to the lockdown, but right at the lockdown, my son's three-year-old's class was trying to come up with activities we could all do together over Zoom. And so we started with like two ingredient baking things. I almost cried. Like I was, like I truly had to turn. I'm laughing with you, not at you. (laughs) I truly had to turn the camera off because here I was Zooming into a two-year-old's class so stressed that I was not keeping up with the ingredients. And I actually had to write the teacher a note and was like, I know you're looking for activities. We're all looking for activities. This can't be the one we do. (laughs) What was it a traumatic event in your earlier life? I mean, what, what makes you so anxious in the kitchen? I don't know. I I think it's the, the ability, it's the, um, the precision that like you have to follow directions and you have to do them in a certain order. That just doesn't work for me. I'm more of a, a free adder. (laughs) (laughs) Um, A lot of my recipes, I have to say, um, do encourage free, a little like free adding, um, especially recipes like this one, where you just have a base of dough and you can really do anything to it. And I think I want more people to know that it's, yes, it's precise, but I think that's like, you know, that's been used so often to scare people away from cooking, you know, oh, it's chemistry. I did so poorly in chemistry that my teacher actually gave me a lower grade just to prove a point that I wasn't paying enough attention in class. So haha, no, I have a lot of bitter <laughs> thoughts about that. And we're, we're, this is my therapy session, but I find I've encouraged a lot of bakers along the way. And I hope that you, just in the same way you encourage people to get out to vote, I would like to do that too. And also encourage people that really it's not such a big deal. 
you can make slice and bake cookies for goodness sakes. Like, <laughs> just like that may be no the way we have to go. <laughs> I'm so just right here. I just want to show you how easy it is. I've got butter and sugar, and I'm using coconut sugar because it's you know supposedly healthier. Uh, well, that jury's really out on that. And a whole slew of spices that I didn't even barely measure. Okay. Wow. Okay. Inspiration here. I'm just saying you didn't even do that. I've got an egg pre-measured. Look at that. The pumpkin comes in a can. And I would, if I could just say to you, just use half a can because it's going to be fine. And two cups of flour. That's even like easy to do. And some baking soda. Ta-da. And then it's just like mixing it until it looks like cookie dough. So it's really... That does sound pretty good. I have to tell you, I don't think my husband actually really helps in this front. He actually loves to bake and bakes cookies multiple times a week. He oh. bakes bread from scratch. Like he mills his own. Oh and my then, gosh. And then anytime I try to bake anything at all, and I would only do it with the kids. Like I would never do it myself, but like as an activity, the first thing he says is, well, did you measure? I'm like, obviously I did not measure. <laughs> of course the answer is no. I just threw it in, mixed it in a little. <laughs> well, you live with a bread baker in the house and they, you do have to be really precise and you do have to know like, oh, well, the flour feels this way this morning and the temperature is this. And I'm not, that's not, that's not for me. So you have a baker in the house. You know, just keep doing She Pivots podcast. We, we, we don't <laughs> I just want you to know you can do it. I feel very um, empowered. Thank you. That's why I'm here. There are these things called the midterms upcoming, which speaking of knots in one's stomach and why cookies are so important, the midterms are coming up. And as a democratic strategist, you have spent a lot of your time getting the youth vote out, as we say. And from what I was reading in like the Harvard Institute of Politics poll, the, the youth, they are coming out strongly again, this midterm. And one of the things that sort of surprised me was youth turnout exceeds today, exceeds millennials, Gen X, baby boomers at the same age in voter turnout. And what, what do you think is the reason for that? How, how did that happen? Aside from your own hard work. <laughs> it's been a couple of years since I actually was considered in the youth vote. So, <laughs> I'm more in the mom vote. But, you know, I think the younger generation, like younger millennials and Gen Zers, they believe that their voice matters. Like we've been saying this for years and years. They really believe it. I think anybody who employs young people knows that. I think anyone who has a young person knows that. You know, part of it is the democratization of your voice on the mm -hmm. internet, like on social media, that people didn't know that they had power suddenly have the same power as anybody else. Because when they put something out there, it can resonate and it can go viral. And that is great. And the mm -hmm. fact that they do, you know, they, as a generation, generally don't believe in institutions. That's a big generalization, but ge institutions as a whole, but do believe that they have power. So I think we're seeing a bit of a culminating around that. And I think that there's been a bit of a backlash around, we've seen over the last 10, 12 years, particularly Republicans trying to find ways to limit access to voting, you know, mm -hmm. things like making it harder to register not being able to do it online, which actually makes it shocking that anyone under 30 can actually get registered. But, you know, <laughs> cutting down hours for early vote, intimidating people outside polling places, like those things actually have been happening for the last 12 years, pretty has pretty picked up. But since the 2020 election, like every time there's a limiting of the voting, there is a little bit of a backlash of people saying, you're not going to take away my right to vote. If you don't want me to vote, 
there must be a reason. It must be because my voice is too powerful. That's something that we often project out, like really <laughs> hope, like projecting those voices, really hoping that more people think, yes, I will vote. <laughs> Unfortunately, it not, ends up not being as str- powerful as we want it to. But actually, I think with this generation, <laughs> it is. I think, I think you're right. I teach, uh, and as anyone who listens to the podcast, like, yes, Marissa, we know you teach freshmen. Uh, you teach at Montclair State, and I teach journalism. And um, I spent all of last class saying to them, okay, what district are you registered in? Who are you going to vote for? What does the ballot look like? What time are you going to vote? And they didn't really know like where they needed to go and what they needed to do, which is unfortunate, right? So I find that the overall picture looking pretty good is a, is a good thing. What do you think are the main, I mean, you have a sense of like the big things that are going to compel young folks and women. And I do sort of lump us all in the same category because I think we have a lot of the same, and I wonder if you do too, sort of the same sort of concerns about the future of our country. So first of all, what you were doing in your class, I don't know if you knew you were doing this, but like is the number one GOTV activity. You identify your voters, the people that you think are voting with you, and you ask them to make a plan to vote. You tried. There you do. You did it. That was the main (laughs) campaign strategy. Because people, if you don't have it in your schedule, if you don't figure out how you're going to do it, we just can't fit it in. Like we we have too many obligations. Like how are you going to fit in a new activity at seven o'clock in the morning on a Tuesday? Yeah. And why does my one vote count? Yeah. I think we're, hopefully I think people are seeing more and more that it does. Like they want to vote, but it's logistically too hard. They just can't figure out how to do it. That's actually why I love early voting. I like to vote early in person. So I checked out my early voting locations and what days it had started. Um, That's all on vote.org. That's where I found out my information. Mm -hmm. Voting by mail is also great because it's a way to just get your vote in early and you don't have to think about it. You don't have to think about the logistics. But the other thing I think is pretty important at this point is like socializing the ability to vote. Just start talking about it in places that are kind of unexpected. And this is where I do think that social media and where I do think that you know, Mm -hmm. wearing kind of a statement shirt or whatever it is does actually make a difference to socialize the act of voting and just get people thinking about it, like thinking about their plans, thinking about their plans to vote. Vote as a group. I was supposed to take my my two-year-old to soccer on Saturday, and then I was going to go take all my kids with me to go vote afterwards. And so my plan had been to like chat it up with all the other parents and say, hey, we're, you know, we usually go to the park after this, but let's all go vote together. My two-year-old had a total meltdown and did not make it to class. <laughs> so I did, I did still take my kids with me to early vote on Saturday. And I texted the other parents I knew in the soccer class and said, hey, we're going to go vote after this if you guys want to want to bring your kids. And at least it made them think through how they're going to vote and when they're going to vote, even if that time didn't work for them. So I know I went, I went off in a bit of a logistics. I can't help myself once we get to the end of elections. I can't help talking GOTV, get out the vote. <laughs> but it's such a good point. And I, even with your two-year-old having a meltdown, you figured it out how to do it. So I think that's great that you also encourage these others to do it. I'd love the idea of voting in a group, just making it a concerted effort. And even beyond social media, and maybe it's because, you know, I like talking to random strangers in like at the CVS. But even just talking to the people like you're waiting with in line at the supermarket, even if you don't want to talk to people, 
saying, oh my gosh, voting is Tuesday. You have, you have a plan to vote and just seeming a little creepy, but not, you don't have to, you could actually do it in a way that doesn't seem quite as creepy as I'm doing. Um, <laughs> right. And just to ask the question way, I mean, the other thing is that if you are an employer of any variety, which includes mm-hmm. your homes and our families, thinking about giving your employees paid time off, like two hours paid time off or time in the middle of the day to go vote. Right. You know, we had our weekend babysitter with us, mostly for when my two-year-old has a gigantic meltdown that she can extract her from the situation. And, you know, I checked with her and said, are you registered? Do you vote here? I'd been asking her closer up to the registration deadline. And then when we were all in the car together on the way to the polling place, I said, you know, you can vote at any early voting location. If you are interested in voting, I will keep the kids while you go vote. And she said, well, I'm not totally sure who's on the ballot if it's not the president. And we were talking through it with the kids anyway. And like, let's do it all. Let's go up and down the ballot. So we talked through, she voted while we were there. It did involve my two-year-old running up and down inside the polling location for approximately 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but no one else seemed to be distracted by that. So, <laughs> <laughs> And, you know, when she's president of the United States, you'll have such a fantastic story to tell about your two-year-old. They really did. My four-year-old asked in the car, she said, can only boys be president and girls be <gasps> vice president? I know, shot to the heart, right? Uh, and I said, well, I love that you know that girls are the vice presidents. Uh, but actually... Anybody can be the president. We just haven't had a girl president yet. And she's like, well, I think we should. And I was like, me too. And she said, maybe you'll be the president. And I was like, maybe, but maybe you'll be the president. She goes, no, I'm going to be a Coast Guard. And my two-year-old goes, I'm going to be the president, a baby president. (laughs) There you go. There we go. I will wear that t-shirt, vote baby president. (laughs) So, you know, having the conversations at any level at least just normalizes it. (laughs) Exactly. The point that your babysitter made, which was, I don't really know about voting other than voting in a presidential election, is something that really concerns me. I think that one of the lessons learned from uh, the overturning of Roe and a whole bunch of other things the past year or two is that it's not an experience I had, but people vote for sheriff, people vote for judges. And local elections matter now, especially since things are being thrown to the states to do more and more and more and more. And I don't think people have a clue no. about and, local. And you know what's hard, really hard about the local? I get asked this question all the time is where can I find resources on it? And it's so decentralized. The answer is I don't know. Right. Like, I really don't know. You will get a sample ballot or you can look up a sample ballot and then you can start mm-hmm. kind of Googling who's on that, but the names of who's in office, wherever you live, their job, like what they oversee is different than maybe the people in the town over, or maybe the people in the county over. That's exactly right. So it's all different. There's not one centralized place to know who's running. What I would, what I would think about doing this, maybe, maybe only apply at a state level, not totally local, but look at who endorses them. Like look at what organizations endorses them. So I know that I care about reproductive rights and access to them. So I'll look to see, has Planned Parenthood endorsed them? Has NARAL endorsed them? Has the state-level organization endorsed them, which is more likely than the national? Mm -hmm. Um, I know that I care about climate change. I'll look to see if Sierra Club has endorsed them. League League of Conservation Voters has endorsed them. That's a good indicator um, Mm -hmm. if you get to the state or local level of where their values stand. You can also tell a lot by looking at 
candidate or organization's press releases, or even just at their Instagram, they will put out what is important to them. If it is important to them, they want you to know. Right. That's a good point. It's a good indicator of where their values are and if they may align with yours. I think there also needs to be a, that involves work. And I think there also needs to be like in time for our next election, education on the importance of, and knowledge of, I have a comptroller. What does a comptroller do? What do you mean I elect a sheriff? I'm, I'm quite, you know, I'm not 14 years old. I have never really knew that we elected sheriffs. And why would you have an elected police official? Does that make sense? And what do I need to look for in that? And I think the tips that you gave are terrific. And I think one of the things I really want to get people to know is that voting local is something we have to pay way more attention to, especially since we don't have local newspapers. That's my journalism side coming in. We don't have many local newspapers that are reporting on the stuff that's going on behind the curtain at your town council. They're not telling you what's happening with the local sheriff and or the local judges. So we have to do a lot of that work ourselves. It's so frustrating because we think, where am I going to find that work and time to be like listening into every town council meeting? And I don't either. Like it's impossible. it's, It's so hard, but they really do count on you not paying attention. And even if you That's think it. they really do. And even if you think you live in like kind of a like-minded area, which you may or may not, there are some crazies. Like there really are. You don't realize how close to home they are. I mean, one of the things I was looking up, we had municipal, so town elections in June. So it was off cycle. Right. And one of the things that I did a quick search on is, did any of the town elected officials go to the Stop the Steal rally? Like, I don't know. I'm not sure. I haven't lived here long enough to actually know that. I've lived here for two years. So, and if they did, I don't know, they'd be publicizing it right now. But I want to make sure that we don't have like super, I mean, we did have like really hardcore anti-vaxxers on our school board Mm -hmm. um, that ended up being voted out by a write-in vote. So write-in votes can matter too, because these are such low turnout elections, like so few people vote in them that literally our school board was changed by a write-in vote. So you could, if you went with the soccer team to go vote and you were all like-minded, you could have all written in someone who would have changed, you could have done that write-in that changed the effect of the school board. Here in our town, my lovely like-minded little liberal bubble that I live in, police were called to the town council meeting last week because people are all getting their knickers in a twist about stuff. I mean, and stuff they probably should be. And the whole anti-vaxxer thing has been creeping into these meet into board of education meetings where people are showing up and just beginning to disrupt because they're getting it from whatever news source they're getting it from. Right. And infiltrating board of education meetings and go saying, should we really be teaching sexual education to the children? Won't this turn them into a bunch of raving, you know, sex fiends? And One, no, it doesn't. But two, that's why we have to, that's why local journalism matters. That's why we are now, unfortunately, have to do the work ourselves um, and keeping up with it. Yeah, absolutely. And also that creeping into the town school board actually is pretty organized. That has been a strategy Mm -hmm. on the right for at least a decade to be training and running candidates in school board elections 
They became very empowered after the Virginia governor's election last year, um, where the Republican governor Yunkin basically ran on an anti school board, like local school board platform, a conservative school board platform and won. Mm -hmm. Um, So now there's more and more. So it is really a concerted effort to try to get more of these candidates into school boards. Again, education is so important. So one, to be shaping what education is happening and then also have them in local elected official positions to get them to run for higher office. Right. In, In the case of my town, our mayor is also the head of the New Jersey Educators Association, like one of their spokespeople who earns hundreds of thousands of dollars from them as his, in a sense, his real job. And that really impacted our town during COVID, where we were one of the last time, towns to come back because he was rightfully, wrongfully, I'm not going to make a judgment about that right here, but protecting the teachers from having to go back to school. Yeah. I mean, it many all- elected officials have other jobs. It's not their In fact, in almost every single state, the state elected officials are like your state Senate, your state assembly are part time jobs. Mm -hmm. They're not meant to be full time jobs. So they do have other income. And what that other income is and how they're mostly employed is something to pay attention to. Yeah, especially also if your mayor is a big developer in town, right? Like we get a lot of that. And so they're going to look for things that benefit them. It sounds so obvious. Like, of course, that's what we need to do. But to your point earlier, we're pulled in 84 different directions. And I I like the idea that we can, you know, people can have a one place like vote.org to look for this information and educate themselves. We need to educate people that they need to educate themselves. How about the lady vote this year? What do you think of the ladies and how will we be voting today? Will we put down our cups of tea and do something I can't believe I didn't answer this question the first time you asked it. This is really off brand for me. Yes, I care so much about the lady vote. I care so much about it. I have a new article in Marie Claire about how moms are going to determine this election that we have just been hit from every front. It's Mm -hmm. been relentless. Our nerves are shot to no end. And we've had to get creative to just to survive. Like we're not really thriving. We're just surviving. And there have been a number of policies that have come up in the last year or two as being debated that and that could make our lives better or could make our lives worse. I think seeing the overturning of Roe v. Wade, the Dobbs decision, is significantly making our lives worse. It has gone to the states, about half the states and about half the population has fully outlawed abortion now. And we all know abortion is not just abortion. Abortion is health care. Abortion is a miscarriage. Abortion is an ectopic pregnancy. It's a DNC. And that is terrifying that we may not have that op- those options in that moment. New York actually may end up, New York is dangerously close to having a Republican governor who believes in outlawing abortion. Oh. Which if that is, is the reason to get, get out to vote folks in um, New York state, then I don't know what is. It's unbelievable. So I think that is going to be a major issue. I think Sorry, I'm like so fixated and I'm so upset. I'm so upset that people have not realized that their vote like makes a big difference. I live in New York and it's terrifying to me. I interviewed Governor Hochul this year and I was like, here's my big question. How are we maintaining New York as a safe haven for abortion? And she had, had she had, has some policies she signed into law already, others that she would work with the state legislature on. And now I just can't even believe that it's up again. 
And then, you know, other policies that like we really, truly need, like we do need our kids in school. We do need our kids to be safe there. We do need safe to school. feel, we need to feel confident that they are safe in school, both because there is not raging COVID and because they are actually learning and mm-hmm. because we don't have to worry that they are physically safety in school. Like if our kids are not okay, we are not okay. That's absolutely correct. And we, all the mothers and and women that I know just sort of I feel like we're in a constantly tense state uh, about either, you know, someone who could get pregnant at any point and could need emergency surgery, but they have to go, the doctor has to consult their lawyer before they do a procedure that could save your life. I, it's just so beyond me. And I do feel like they're super wound up about you send every day. I drop my son off at school because he's too late to walk, but um, I drop him off at school and <laughs> I look and I go, watch him walk off. And I go, could something bad happen at my school today? What what could happen? That's not a thought that goes away. Right. And after, and the whole, I think COVID, I think I know that the statistics are that like women still haven't bounced back from leaving work during COVID, whether they were taking care of a partner, whether they were sick themselves, whether they lost their jobs because of COVID, we're still very far behind. It's no wonder we're curled up Yeah. And, you know, it's things like that that help us economically where to be realistic about the fact that the gig economy is really working for a lot of women and may work better than the jobs in person that they had been in before. So, you know, thinking about the gig economy, like Obamacare actually really helped with the gig economy Mm -hmm. because it made it possible to buy health insurance. So the fact that Democrats have passed continuation of subsidies for, for Obamacare, you know, thinking about paid leave was an issue that we were so close to getting on a federal level and couldn't pass this year, but maybe could pass if we have better margins in Congress next year. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a necessity. Like It's not a nice to have. It's a necessity. It's something we absolutely need. We know that we have to be able to take our kid to the doctor if it's not us ourselves. We have to be able to take our parents. So thinking about core economic issues that might actually help us feel like we're not drowning all the time mm-hmm. are things that should be motivating and I hope are motivating this year. Look, inflation is real. Gas prices are real. And that's totally tied to foreign policy. And we have to be realistic that it's happening around the world. Wait, it's not a whim of Joe Biden's just to vex people? <laughs> I know that seems really insane. Um, you know, even if, you know, if we're just going to get right into like where the Republicans are really hitting nationally on messages Crime as well is something that Republicans are trying to really hammer, like to to pin on Democrats across the board. But like, where does that come from? That comes from mental health. Like people are struggling. And if you're not, and they're struggling economically, and if you're not going to have a parachute for them, unfortunately, that's where it's turning. Right. I mean, the issue of crime, you know, kind of, to me, kind of reached a disgusting peak when like some pundit on Fox said, well, Good thing after like Paul Pelosi was attacked. Well, now the Pelosi's even know how crime is affecting their neighborhood. That is, that's insane. I mean, that is really, that is, I'm so upset. And by the way, I feel like I used the word parachute instead of safety net. Um, (laughs) Afterwards, But if I parachuted out of something, I would want a safety net. Yeah. I was like, I don't know what a parachute does after I (laughs) use the words. No, I mean, the attack on Paul Pelosi is so disgusting and deeply shaking to the core. And the fact Mm -hmm. that 
there's not a national cry from Republicans to say, oh my God, our rhetoric has gone too far. Like people are listening to us who are not mentally stable and we're villainizing people to the point that they're not human anymore. I started to do on the day that it happened, I started scrolling through Twitter to sort of, I wanted to see how many Republicans that I could identify on Twitter, you know, by representatives or senators had said anything about it. And I fell down such an upsetting rabbit hole of nasty comments, as opposed to uh, my hearts and thoughts. We didn't even get any thoughts and prayers. You know what I'm saying? There were no thoughts and prayers sent out that it was concerning. This morning, I see some uh, tweet from Donald Jr., uh, which is from whatever social site he's on. And it was a photograph of a pair of what we would call politely tidy whities you know, like Y front men's white underwear and a hammer on top of it. And it said, I'm going as Paul Pelosi for Halloween. Oh my God. And I don't even know what to do at that point. Like when I see something like that, how is that okay? Just talk like Like, that. How are we in a, how how has he not been expelled from society when this is, you know, over and over it's, but he's not, he's not, not. people are still really following. And I guess they like that kind of machismo, but it's terrifying. I mean, when I think about that, especially contrasted to the video that we saw in the last week or two during the January 6th attack. And the fact that Speaker Pelosi got on the phone with Mike Pence was checking to make sure that he was okay was downing that beef jerky or whatever it was. It was so, yeah, the actual thing was kind of gross and vegetarian, but that, that moment was so real that she was a human and she cared about him as a human being, not like, not politicized, not the butt of a joke. When I think about that contrasted, it really hits me to my core. And it, it, it's hard for me not to feel frustrated with other people that don't feel the same urgency. And like, and I know that's a judgmental and I know that doesn't help. And I know that turns people off, but I feel like to some degree, like I feel like the house is on fire and I know that everyone's busy, but like, this is the time to engage. I completely agree with you. You know, over the weekend, there was that building in Jacksonville, Florida that said Kanye was right. The Jews are a problem. Whatever it said, I kind of tried to repress it, but that's so not a, like, it's not funny. It's not okay. It's not, not any of these things. And we've like, we have reached this incredible state of ugliness. And to your point, you're like, I, you know, I, it, it disturbs me. I'm like, I want to go out there with that Donald Trump Twitter thing and show it in people's faces and go, is this, why is this okay? And, right. and I think, and none of us do, right. Because you don't do that sort of thing. And it, it just does never comes across right. It's never going to work in your favor. But I also think it leads to that feeling inside that is like, I am this, I'm myself full of anger. And it's, it just has us all on the edge. I don't think it's a healthy place to be. No, totally. And figure, I mean, you're right, like figuring out how to challenge it, channel it, how to how to have it motivate us in a productive way is really, it's a hard thing to try to navigate and figure out. I mean, the best thing that I can do and say at this point, is like vote them out. Like do not, like they are so, we are so close to letting not just like 
you know, a nice, well-meaning Republican take over the majority. Like it's the extreme, like they're here. It's already the party. And we are so, so close to having them take over Congress. And the first thing they will do is pass a national abortion ban. Like you cannot live in a safe, in a safe harbor from it. Like it's the first thing they're going to do. And they're going to pass, you know, all sorts of things that really make me feel scared. Like that really make me feel nervous. I used, look, I, I spent 15 years working in politics. I lived in Washington for a decade and working in it every day. I felt like I had an outlet. Like mm-hmm. I didn't necessarily feel right. a panic because I had an outlet. And during the Trump years, we marched. We marched for everything. Like we marched around Washington all the right. time. And we got to be with our peers and we felt an outlet that way. That's right, the outlet. I don't work in politics anymore. Like I don't live in Washington anymore. Now I'm a suburban mom. Mm-hmm. And I am struggling to figure out what is the right balance and how how to balance, you know, how to engage in a productive way. Like I do, I remind my class on our PTA text chain about voting registration deadlines. I'm involved like super locally in our affordable housing, but I'm also cognizant of the fact that my kids have to be in school here for the next 15 years or whatever it is. Right. You know, and like these, and they may, people may have different views than me. And I don't agree with them. I'm not going to say it's okay, but I also have to coexist with them. And yet you're absolutely right. And we, that's the way we should all be acting where, and yet people often on the other side are not reacting that way. They don't really care if I'm unhappy or upset or disgusted by what they do. There's like, I don't know. I think it was Bill Moyers, I think, who said that the Democrats need to have sharper elbows in how they do things. And I think that's an overall feeling that I have. I don't know if you share it similarly, but if you don't have an outlet, you want to see people really doing something about it. You want to see the people in power utilizing it. John Fetterman has amused me throughout this entire campaign with his strategies for kind of vexing the New Jerseyan Dr. Oz. I mean, Pennsylvania could have him, but I really don't want them to. You let's let's pivot slightly. <laughs> oh, you build in the segues, don't you? Um, thank you for that built-in segue. Uh, you created a podcast called She Pivot for a terrific reason, and it has a terrific idea behind it. Can you just explain it to the four people in my listenership who don't actually know what it is? Yeah. So on She Pivots, we interview women who have changed their careers for deeply personal reasons, not for professional reasons. So this stemmed from, I mean, basically exactly what we're talking about, that I worked in politics for a long time at a very intensive high level. I had one kid thought, oh my God, what am I, can I still really do this? Had a second kid 18 months later and a third kid within three years. And then I thought, oh my God, I really can't do this. (laughs) I really can't do this. But it was so tied into my identity. My vision of success was being professionally successful in politics. That was how I evaluated my self-worth. I really, I didn't evaluate myself as a parent. I didn't even think about having kids, to be totally honest with you. Right, me neither. I just didn't really think about it. Um, And they were so disruptive to my career that I was really resentful of them and didn't enjoy them as babies. I have no connection to babies. So Mm -hmm. I thought, oh, my career is ruined. And for what? For you? Mm -hmm. And I was pulled in a hundred directions. And like the one thing that I was able to kind of maintain at that time was a political podcast where I tried to break down issues in a conversational way. Like basically what you're doing here (laughs) is make it more accessible. And I took a pause 
And I thought, am I being as successful as I want to be for my own vision of myself? Mm-hmm. Like my, my standards of what was successful is not attainable right now. Maybe it will be at some point in my life, but it is not available to me right now. Mm-hmm. And that is incredibly depressing as a revelation. And I was embarrassed about the fact, like if you look just at my resume and what I had been working on, yeah, I looked successful. Like the, mm-hmm. the professional external evaluation <laughs> of my career was success. But personally, I was crushed mm-hmm. and I was dying inside. So I thought, I don't know how to reevaluate my version of success. I've never done it before. I've had no other metric to evaluate myself by. So I need to know what a perspective change looks like. I need to be able to speak in professional settings about my setback wasn't professional. My setback was personal. And so I want to have those conversations and I need to hear stories of inspiration. Like I really Mm -hmm. needed them myself. And how am I going to get all these women to talk to me? I'll do it on a podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Right back at you. Okay. (laughs) Right. And what have you, I have, long wanted to um I've literally if you look at like list of stories to pitch one of them is about mothers and how like they coped and cope um especially I wanted to talk to women who are like in their 60s and their kids are all flown and grown um and see how they dealt with it especially women older than I am um and older than much older than you are um, and the person I wanted to interview, and she's gone now, is Madeline Albright. Um, wow, right? You know, like, and I think that you know, I can also say when you look at this sort of discussion about women who have the opportunity to do this, right? That's it is an opportunity. I do think there it's important to make it so that there are lessons for women who are not as fortunate to be able to like change careers midstream or, you know, do whatever they need to do and need to keep on trucking. Um, how have you found, um, like what sort of messages have you gleaned from your podcast that have helped you and may help others? Yeah. I mean, something that was really important to me was that we had a big diversity of stories, Mm -hmm. like we have what we call like the intervening life event. So the personal thing that changed in your life that led to your perspective change is different in every one of our stories. For the entire first season, I basically didn't book anybody else whose kid having kids was the thing that changed their careers because I felt like that was my story and mm-hmm. I was interested in hearing other people's stories. Great. I also felt like if it was all just kids, moms who felt like their kids were in their career, it could go on forever and be <laughs> depressing. So we do have a huge wide range and older women. I don't think anyone we've interviewed is under 40. Mm-hmm. We've had a 101-year-old on. We've had an 81-year-old. Oh, yeah. I interviewed a 95-year-old Holocaust survivor last week. Um, so, you know, making sure that we are really highlighting the lessons that women have learned from all different experiences, from all ages, and not trying to, like, insert ourselves. I get so frustrated when I see these like mom influencers who are like 30 and have one kid, I'm like, I'm sorry, <laughs> have one kid. Like, you don't know. <laughs> and no disrespect to people that have one kid, but that is not, that is not advice that I can use. No, it's not realistic for right. me. 
And that eyeliner is never going on straight. Also, she always has straight eyeliner. Oh my God. I'm not wearing any makeup right now. I'm not wearing any makeup. It's definitely not going to be eyeliner. Um, Yeah. And you know, to your point about the fact that there is a level of privilege that is involved in pivoting, that was also a piece that was important for me to have. I'd say about half of my guests have kids, but about half don't. Mm -hmm. And to be really realistic about the factors that we have to take into our into consideration individually for each of us, if we're going to be blunt about it, it is easier to change your career drastically if you do not have others dependent on you for that income. Right. Right. So we have stories like that. We have stories of women who have been able to use government programs to pitch if they didn't have a pot waiting in the wings for them to be able to start something new. We're very specific and we have stories about when is it a side hustle and when do you change? One of the women that I interviewed last week had started a business as a side hustle and she said that she was too nervous not to change her career more than she was nervous of the change because she was going through a nasty divorce and in her current job, she traveled a lot and she was worried about losing custody. So she had to change her career and was very successful in doing it. The the stories that I tend to have on are kind of extreme and that the personal thing that happened to somebody was like an extreme circumstance because it forced them to try something new. Like we don't really take that big jump unless we're forced into it. If we can kind of maintain the steady, the steady state, just as human nature, we tend to do that. So, you know, we do, I do have on stories of women that have gone through like pretty extreme circumstances because they're intended to be inspirational, mm-hmm. acknowledging that those changes in all of our lives might be a little bit smaller and still as valuable. Mm-hmm. I completely, I think that's exactly, I mean, that's what we, it's important for us to hear no matter where we are in our careers or in our lives to get this sort of inspiration. Because I think, especially after COVID, we are exhausted. And I do think we need a little bit of, shall we sing Bette Midler together? Wind beneath I'll do our it. wings? Yeah. yeah okay. <laughs> <laughs> you, you love musical theater, right? I love musical okay, theater. Right? I love musical theater. <laughs> Jen Taub has been on. We've sung music from Cats together. So, I mean, there is for the, you know, subscriber portion of this, we, no, we will not be singing the wind between beneath our wings, but later we can get later, to. later. Yeah. <laughs> I want you to know that I have been successfully making cookies while we've been talking very slowly and by hand as if I were someone's grandmother. And here they are, they're all ready and done. Wow. And I hope that you noticed, I just opened the can of pumpkin, eyeballed half and it's going in. And basically I measured carefully the flour and that was about it. I'm okay. just saying. Don't All like right. this is a point of inspiration for me. That's why I'm here. You have a special guest um, for your second season. Would you like to tell us who that special lady is? Yes. <laughs> so, yes. Yes. I like so, calling us ladies too because it's like women, women, women. I went to a women's college, and it's always a women's college, never girls. You know. So I think we should own lady as well. Okay, lady. I love tell me. lady. I yeah. love lady. So um, our second season is launching in March, but we were so excited with the interview that we have for our premiere episode that we dropped a little piece of it over on She Pivots. Uh, I interviewed the vice president, Kamala Harris, and got to ask her, like, what, you know, what is she thinking about? We got some of her wellness routine in there. I know, you know, what, what drives her? What made her 
think to reach for reach higher, like continue to reach higher mm-hmm. and feeling when she felt like she had a different way to do the things that she was passionate about. What made her take that next leap every time? So we got to have that conversation with her and we have little, little preview of it out on She Pivots, the podcast now, anywhere you find podcasts. <laughs> that is fantastic. Um, I've listened to a little bit of it and it was, it's, it's also like wonderful to hear her speak. And I feel like actually since she's become vice president, I haven't heard her speak that much. I mean, she's working for a president who was a vice president. So I'm sure they've had a good talk about it. Yes. She has been my dream guest. I purposely steered away from political guests because I felt like I was so over-indexed in political. (laughs) I needed some regular people in there, Uh, but she has been my dream guest. So it was just incredible, an incredible honor to, to interview her and to be on there. And, you know, we got to do it in person to connect on a human level, you know, a reminder that like, we are all trying to make those human connections. We all do want them no matter how huge anybody was. It was a little off-putting that I had a secret service agent assigned to me through the entire conversation. So he just kept his eyes on me. That did make it <laughs> a little bit less like a regular person interview. But <laughs> with that aside. <laughs> I have my dog here. So that's like protection. You understand the pressure. I totally the never he, he, the never ending gaze. The never ending gaze of just give me the gosh darn dog biscuit. Shut give up. Me that <laughs> you didn't try that with a secret service agent, did you? Just have it. No, never I mind. thought about <laughs> it. No, I thought about it. Just throwing him a biscuit, seeing what would happen. <laughs> Nothing. I hope he's protecting her. I really hope he's protecting her. Um, you were gonna say something and I interrupted about your takeaways from just being able to listen to her as a person, I think. Oh, just being able to connect on that level, not just people who are larger than life, but especially politicians. We so, you know, the 24-hour news cycle and social media, like we we just nitpick at them when they're real people and they feel real things. So being able to connect on that level was really the honor of a lifetime. I spent the entire day before trying to figure out what to wear. Like It's good. That's how we focus our anxieties, right? It totally is. (laughs) And did you pick the right outfit? Let's get to it. I feel really good about it. Uh, My hair has gotten deeper and deeper purple over the last year. Yeah, it's a little dark in here now, so you may not be able to see it, but my hair is purple right now. I look like rarity if we have a My Little Pony reference in the crowd. We have so many My Little Pony references here. Yeah, Yeah, that's a big debate in my house, whether I look like rarity or um, twilight. I think rarity. Mm -hmm. I think rarity. I have to really. Mm -hmm. (laughs) On the the bright purple. Why did you dye your hair purple? Um, It started last year. I had long COVID. I had like medium to long COVID. Mm -hmm. And when I was finally out of it at the beginning of March, I just wanted to run for the hills and scream Mm -hmm. and break out and just be living life. So, you know, we started with a little bit of a purple wash and over the summer, it was a bit of a lavender for a summer Pretty. purple. For the summer, yeah. Thank you so much. But <laughs> I really couldn't get it as bright as I felt like was matching the way I want to live right life right now. So I have bleached my hair out with my hairdresser and it is now fully purple. Like we've made it a is, long-term commitment here. It is gorgeous. I think purple is the way to go. I think it Colette really would agree with you. Up. 
Yes, it did really crack me up the first time I went to preschool drop-off when one of the moms said, oh, is it permanent? I was like, it is. Mm-hmm. It is a permanent right. choice. It's permanent. And also, this is just my belly. I'm not pregnant. You know, it's one of those questions where you're like, please. <laughs> it is a permanent Side choice. Voice. <laughs> but, you know, I wanted to I wanted to bring that to the interview with the vice president. I saw a picture of myself. I tend to wear a lot of really bright prints and a lot of them. And I saw a, p- a picture of myself now that my hair is so bright, wearing a long printed dress that I would normally wear. And I felt like I looked like a magic eye page. <laughs> like it was hard to look directly at me. Where do I look? Yeah. So I've been trying to make more of a concerted effort to wear solids and a little more monochromatic. So I felt like if I went into that interview with her, like I wanted to be respectful. Like I'm, it's not a circus. Like I'm a serious mm-hmm. person interviewing the vice president, but I happen to have purple hair. Right. So, you know, a lot of thought put into it. I like it. That's so much. Did she comment on your hair? I have to ask. No, actually, I don't think so. She met my kids over the summer and my two-year-old was as independent, shall we call it, as I had hoped she would be when meeting the vice president. So that really took up the bulk of the converse, of the personal conversation. I could talk to you all day long. Um, apparently, we need to do other things with our lives. But please, I recommend everybody not only votes, I suspect you do too, but that everybody listens to She Pivots. It is a wonderful podcast and it is truly inspiring. So thank you for all your inspiring words today. And uh, thank you for She Pivots. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. You can find the She Pivots podcast wherever fine podcasts are available. And please join me on Twitter and Substack and Instagram and Mastodon and, and, and anywhere Elon Musk can't be found. No, seriously, I still am on Twitter. Um, But you can find me at MarissaRothkopf.com or just anywhere at Marissa Rothkopf. And remember, Bosco really does love you almost more than he loves finding random hot dogs on the street.